Hello, welcome to MHTV. Really lovely to have you with us tonight. Um, we've got the full gang here. And we're talking about mental health and smoking. So um, we do want you to join in. Um, I'm sure you've got your own opinions about this. So let me just pass over before we get to introducing our guest to Vanessa so that she can tell you how you can join in on social media tonight. Vanessa? Yeah, thanks, Nikki. Hi, everyone. I'm looking forward to tonight's conversation on smoking and mental health, which is a subject that I think most people will um, have some interest in, hopefully. So we would encourage everyone to join this conversation. Um, the conversation applies to us all. The more of us that get involved in this conversation, the better. So tonight I'll be covering the social media. Um, as usual, you can join in one of two ways. You can either join in on Twitter by just following the MHTV hashtag. Just remember to include that in your tweets so we can see them. Any questions, I'll feed back in to tonight's episode. If you prefer Facebook, head over to Facebook and you just need to like the Unite MHNA Facebook page and you should see the live stream pop up there. Again, we'll monitor that tonight. So if you've got any questions for Hazel tonight, do, do put them in the box either there or on Twitter. Look forward to hearing from you. Absolutely. Let's come to Hazel now. Hazel, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and a brief introduction so people can know a little bit about who you are? Thanks, Nikki. Um, so I'm Hazel Cheeseman. I'm Deputy Chief Executive at Action on Smoking and Health, um, ASH. And we were set up just over 50 years ago by the Royal College of Physicians um, to work to end the harm from smoking. And we've spent the last 51 years doing that. Um, um, more recently, we've had quite a, a big focus on inequality mm. and the people uh, in society where smoking rates are very high and are, are being kind of left behind in terms of mm. the progress that we've made in reducing smoking rates across the population as a whole. Mm. And one very big group in all of that are people with mental health conditions. And um, a few years ago, um, back in 2016, we did a big report mm. with lots of charities and organisations I'm signed up to mm. um, looking at this issue and off the back of that we established the Mental Health and Smoking Partnership uh, which brings together mental health charities, public health charities all shared in this mission around what can we do to reduce these really very high rates of smoking among people with mental health conditions. Mm. So what do you think the link is? Why is this sort of link between inequality and smoking still really probably the most surprising thing about it isn't it because very few people seem to smoke across society but it's pulled in certain areas why is that do you think yeah so what we've had is we've had sort of this 50 years of progress mm. and the most affluent in society are richest and are most educated they stop mm. smoking first so the progress you know doctors the first studies around the cause between the link between smoking and lung cancer were done in doctors yeah. and so it was very resonant yeah. for them they stopped smoking quite quickly it's, it's unusual now to find doctors that smoke although not completely unheard of um, and then so it took longer for, for the rest of society, you know, it, it, it's kind of grown over time. And now we have smoking rates that are around 13 percent. But if you look at people uh, who've got mental health conditions, so um, groups of, with depression and anxiety, you're mm -hmm. looking at smoking rates that are more like 25 percent. Mm -hmm. um, so very much higher than the population as a whole. And mm -hmm. if you look at people with SMI, people in like inpatient mental health settings, mm -hmm. then the smoking rates are like 40, 50 percent. So very, very, it's a very, very big inequality. And because smoking is um, such a big um, cause of poor health. Mm. So if you if you smoke, then there's a, you know, one in two people that smoke. In fact, it, the estimates are, have changed. Actually, two in three is the estimate now, for the number of people mm. that would die um, from smoking related illnesses. And you lose 10 years of life, but you, mm. you also lose on top of that an, another 10 years of healthy life. Mm. people are living uh, in middle age in later life with life limiting conditions and mm. um, that really but, but your question was why why is it that we've yeah. got this very high rates of smoking in people with disadvantage and particularly people with mental health conditions and there there, there are some we have some answers to those questions mm. but we don't have all the answers to the questions mm. so one of the, the areas of research which has really been growing uh, in recent times is our understanding about how smoking might be causal in the development of some mental health conditions. Mm -hmm. So we've got some fairly robust evidence now that smoking is causal in the development of depression and anxiety and also in schizophrenia. Uh, it, it may well be causal in other conditions, but we don't have the strength of, mm. of evidence there. 
but it's all it also appears to be the case that if you if you do um if you do have a mental health condition it seems to make you vulnerable to smoking in some way so uh, the people that have mental health conditions to smoke uh, are more dependent mm. they, they smoke more they take more nicotine in when mm. from each inhalation mm. they find, and therefore they find it harder to stop so if you start to smoke mm. and you have a mental health condition, you've got this vulnerability to becoming really dependent, which makes mm. it much harder to stop. And then you just have this vicious cycle which goes around. Mm. So the more you smoke, the, the more it impairs your life. Mm. You uh, don't have as much money to spend. It impairs your employment chances. Mm. Obviously, it impairs your health. And then that feeds back into poor mental health. And you have this kind of vicious cycle. Mm. Um, and then we also know that quitting smoking can break that cycle. That actually, for any smoker, regardless of whether they have a pre-existing mental health condition or not, mm. stopping smoking, and if any, if any of, I don't know if any, I should have asked before we started, if any of you uh, uh, are or were smokers, but, you know, as an ex-smoker, you know, with that experience of stopping smoking in the first few days is, is really unpleasant. You get the mm. withdrawal from nicotine, mm. you feel quite distressed, you get all the physical symptoms of withdrawing from nicotine. But over time, when those withdrawal symptoms go away, and they go away relatively relatively rapidly for, mo- for most people, people's mental health improves. Mm. And it's, it's shown in, you know, and it doesn't matter who you are, whether you have a pre-existing condition or not. Yeah. Uh, it appears to improve your mental well-being, um, you know, from about sort of six weeks after you've stopped smoking into mm-hmm. the future. So it's there's a very complex relationship between yeah smoking and mental health Mm. uh this kind of feedback loop and we're still learning really about Mm. why it is that we have such um disparities in this group Mm. but it it points to to what we need to do which is really like focus our efforts Mm. particularly um uh in the places where we can best support people with mental health conditions to stop smoking Mm. i think you're you're right to to know kind of the experience of having mental distress as well be it whether you're you're by yourself and you're kind of using it as self-soothing and like a yeah. lot of people make short-term choices don't they <laughs> if I hadn't just had a 12 like, <laughs> people make, will make choices about self-soothing which are maybe yeah. not long-term great health decisions and I think mm-hmm. you know, we really don't always consider how isolating how lonely sometimes people are when they have this kind of stigmatized experience absolutely and the relationship between being lonely being unhappy and smoking is pretty strong because you you know smoking is a pastime I mean it's not a very exciting one but it is something to do it's something to do with your hands it's particularly now you have to go out in most places you have to go outside um you know the ritual if you're rolling your cigarettes there's a lot tied up in that experience of smoking which if there's not a great you know if you're feeling very isolated if you're feeling very stigmatized you can see how that becomes something um, of, of of significance in someone's life. Mm. I mean, we had um, a conference uh, a few months ago, and um, we had a speaker uh, with who uh, mm. said experience being an impatient, ongoing um, management of her mental health mm. condition, and has been you know a, we call it a kind of relaxing condition smoking mm-hmm. you know, she was currently smoking at the point that she was at the conference but she's quit many times mm-hmm. and she got really um uh cross with this idea of being defined by her smoking you know i am not i'm not um mm-hmm. i'm not uh who i am because i'm a smoker i'm somebody and i happen to smoke mm-hmm. so i think it you know it's incumbent on all of us to try and think that this isn't it was in the context of um, people talking about this perception that mm. somehow this is a a, a a pleasure for people, a, you know, a fundamental part of their lives. Mm. She was really angry about that. I don't want mm. to be defined in that way. Don't, mm. you know, don't tell me how mm. um, smoking defines me. Mm. I wish I wasn't a smoker, mm. but it is something that I do. Mm. Mm. It's, it's a strange kind of sense of um, community can come from it as well. Because the yeah. harder it is for people to smoke, the more you find people in very strange places hanging out. Um, and um, you guys were young, but I don't know if you remember the, the horror that was the inpatient smoking room. Yeah, as a student, I remember being sent in with a mop to mop down the walls and finding out a wall, a room that I thought was cream actually turned out to be mint once I started washing the nicotine off. Yeah. It's like, this cannot be okay. 
this just can't be okay but I think obviously, those in impatient environments have changed a lot and yeah, they have. you know they're not that you don't you're not wiping down the walls full of um back of smoke but not that there isn't more that can be done no indeed but and I think that's the the encouraging thing isn't it I think things can always change because there was and I think there still is a certain amount of fatalism with mm. professionals and I think we can come to that in a second but I guess the other thing to think about is the use of tobacco as a stimulant as well so sometimes when people have certain types of medication and particularly if they're starting to feel drowsy you'll sometimes find people wanting to smoke under those circumstances for sure yeah mm. what about you what do you think Vanessa was there anything that sort of leaps out to you around the kind of connections between smoking and mental health? Yeah, I was just thinking like you, Nikki, that, you know, when I trained in the ni- early 1990s, mm. that, you know, everybody smoked then. I mean, I, I started smoking. Mm-hmm. And it's ho- horrifying to say, but I started smoking probably through nursing, which is absolutely ridiculous when you think about yeah. it. Yeah. But um, in, the, in that era, everybody smoked and it was mm. the only way that you got to have... Um, mm any time out any conversations with people that you worked with and as you say a trip to the the, to the smoke room at break time so the culture has changed massively but I think mm-hmm. um there were positives I have to I have to say there were positives yeah. about um you know striking up a conversation with somebody who was agitated or distressed that mm-hmm. sort of community as you said of offering somebody a cigarette and a cup of tea mm-hmm. you know used to kind of build bonds and that that used to be the culture didn't it so mm-hmm. I think things have changed massively I think mm. when they um, banned smoking from wards that was a, a major sort of watershed yeah, moment was mental health and, yeah. and people just didn't think that that could happen I remember having those conversations about how can we possibly do this particularly yeah. with people who were detained in hospital how yeah. can we deprive them of, of smoking when mm. you know that's all somebody's got but we've we've managed to achieve that haven't we so mm. Mm. um yeah it's I, I was thinking as well when she was talking about the link between, um, you know, smoking and weight loss as well. You know, definitely, a lot of people smoke because it, you know, it keeps you, it helps you keep your weight down, doesn't it? As well, and that that is the reality of of, um, mm. of smoking for people. Mm. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because obviously, you know, self soothing, managing weight, managing mm. tiredness, forming camaraderie. You know, you can't just say that smoking is some awful awful thing and then like demonize it and then think that that's going to solve it you actually yeah. have to be able to talk really realistically because people don't do things for no reason no exactly. do for, for a reason I think what I really remember about that that time when we were stopping smoking happening as as readily on the wards yeah the number of staff who actually smoked themselves and felt really guilty yeah. about it or yeah. else genuinely said I just don't want to be assaulted asking yeah. not to smoke yeah I think that was very yeah a very interesting time to try because you could see people trying to do the right thing but it wasn't just straightforward no definitely definitely and uh, and it was it it was social wasn't it it was Mm. you know if you smoked that was the opportunity to go and talk to people from other wards you know and patients Mm. carers families passers-by you know everybody you know that it was a very social thing so it's changed hugely hasn't it I mean Mm. there's much more I would say there's more of a stigma around smoking now when people do smoke you tend to notice it Mm. what I mean be interesting to if Hazel knows but Mm. for me I think that there's probably a disproportionate number of people who work in mental health compared to other branches of medicine medicine and nursing who still smoke because I certainly know you know mental health nurses psychiatrists who who still smoke and I wonder um how that correlates to you know adult nursing and and other branches of nursing Mm. um be quite interesting Mm. I, I I suspect probably more mental health staff smoke um, but I might be wrong. <laughs> well, it got more difficult to smoke, didn't it? When um, yeah. when the, the sort of policy changed around it, what mm. I thought, what I think is sad now, when I look back on it, is the number of staff who were supported to stop smoking but left behind service users. Yeah, if someone decides to continue to smoke, and you know, they have all the information. It's something that you work around, isn't it? Because lots of people's health variables are mm. complicated. You don't need to be. Uh, distressed about that but I do worry that we sometimes have a low 
expectation for service users. You know, we have this like for people who I care about, for me and my family, I think yeah. we should have this level of health. And I think, mm. hello, Rachel, don't worry. <laughs> Sorry, the internet's just completely disappeared. I've, hopefully my phone, it'll work. Not to worry at all. We've don't been worry. talking about when smoking was as changed on wards. And we were talking about, well, I was just saying now about this expectation. Sometimes we have this expectation for our own health, but we're not mm. always maybe as zealous in terms of supporting and promoting service users. Yeah. Well-being. I wonder if you had any thoughts on that, thinking about yeah. what that staff need to do or can do. Well, I mean, I think um, I, I do think enormous amounts have changed. Um, you know, uh, smoke-free legislation, it's become so much more normal for smoking yeah. uh, not to be mm. inside. Mm. You know, our expectations have changed in our own lives and, you know, that's translated through to work. But there is still that, ni- that nihilism, I think, that sense that um, this is a group that uh, can't be helped that yeah. to some extent shouldn't be helped in some situations mm-hmm. that, that that it's not the right time etc but all the mm-hmm. evidence says that people want to quit smoking and they can quit smoking in, in, yeah. in even in situations where they perhaps have uncontrolled substance misuse or um mm-hmm. you know quite a lot of complicated stuff going on people can still successfully stop smoking which of course is a very empowering thing for, for other parts of your life mm-hmm. so i think the the the, the 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 research that we've done and and it's actually a little old now because it was before the pandemic. And I do, I think the pandemic has obviously been a big uh, sort of fissure in yeah. you know, the, the impact that it's had on, particularly mm. in inpatient settings and the, the pressure as well on the workforce. It's obviously very acute at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, what we found was, was, I guess this maybe won't surprise you, mental health nurses uh, were actually pretty well informed um, had had some training although I think the training was still um, mm. limited mm. Um, and had had pretty decent expectations I would say that they could and should be helping patients to stop but there was still you know a, a significant minority who maybe didn't see it as part of their role didn't think that people re- that, it, that people could really be helped mm. um, and, and just weren't really that didn't really see it as part of their agenda mm. I have to say the psychiatrists that we surveyed came out quite quite a lot worse on both on all of those missions um, fine <laughs> <there you go. laughs> um, so you know there's definitely uh, a sense that, that, that the profession is very is much more engaged perhaps than they were say a decade ago mm-hmm. um, but in terms of what people can actually do I mean and I, I think it's been very challenging when there hasn't been you know it's a Cinderella service mental health mm-hmm. I mean maybe only after public health which is also we also feel ourselves to be very Cinderella like um but you bring these two things together, you know, mental health, which is chronically underfunded, chronically under resourced mm. and public health, which is kind of in a, in a often in a very similar position. Yeah. And it's a sort of, um, you know, a really challenging environment. Um, mm. But there is money flowing into the NHS at the moment to address smoking and mental health. Mm. So there are services being established in inpatient settings okay. and it isn't probably quite enough resource to do the job. And it's certainly mm. um, the ambition has been to do it in community as well as inpatient. And that's what seems to be happening. Yeah. But it is nonetheless mm. a bit of stuff that's happening where we can embed proper services. Mm. So I would definitely encourage people that are interested to find out how that's mm. going in your trust. Mm. Um, and how would, yeah, how would people find out? Um, other than through, you know, within their own trust, how would people find out what opportunities there are for for, for these services within um, NHS organisations? So if you're if you're in NHS organisations and you've got a physical health lead or a smoke free lead, like they'd be the person to tell you, you know, where you're up to in yeah. your organisation. The Mental Health and Smoking Partnership has a has a network, um, Smoke Free Mental Health Network, and I'm sure we can put somewhere uh, uh, the, where you can sign up to that I'll, I'll find it as we're talking perhaps yeah. um and also there is for, for those of you that if anyone's on here and they have responsibility within their organization for services or for smoke-free policies then there is a network um of smoke-free leads um which if, yeah. if you get in touch with ash we can put you in touch which, with them um, I'm just thinking because I, I work um, with prisons and, um, you know, obviously vaping is more of an issue in, in prisons. And, and there, there are, um, you know, attempts around sort of smoking replacement, for example. But 
I was just thinking whether those services will reach into prisons as well in terms of the sort of psychological support that people need, because it isn't just about having a smoking replacement, is it? It's also about having psychological support, like with any um, addiction. Absolutely. I mean, I think probably the short answer to that, Vanessa, is that they won't reach into prisons. The prisons mm. have, their, have their own separate thing. And obviously prisons being like free has probably reduced the impetus to put that kind of support in. But you're right that what we know about how you help people stop smoking is that it's a combination of um, giving people medication or a way of managing those withdrawal from nicotine and vaping mm. products are quite effective at doing that yeah. alongside behavioural support. And that is that does give people the best chance of success. Well, you're talking about a group of people who, generally speaking, will find it a bit tougher to quit. Mm, and you yeah. need to bring those two things together as far as possible. Yeah. You need to give them the so, best shot. Yeah. 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 I think Dave was looking to come in there. Yeah, I was. I know it's, it's quite unusual to have three presenters on an episode. Well, I really didn't want to not be involved in tonight just because of kind of this sort of, it feels like a long history of working with Ash. Uh, I kind of think back to my first involvement uh, and that kind of being more from the kind of the prism of health visiting. Uh, and, and I think as you've been speaking tonight, I've been kind of thinking in my head about, you know, that bit about for mental health nurses, you know, coming from it from a position of encouraging people maybe that have been detained to stop smoking and seeing that maybe as a negative thing that you do to people to, to encourage them to stop smoking. Uh, mm. because you've already kind of denied them the liberty so are you kind of denying them more but then the, the the flip side to that is that as a health visitor why would I encourage parents not to smoke because actually we know the massive impact that it has not just on them as as individuals but also on their the babies the children uh, and it's funny isn't it, in a way the kind of the flip of that that in one way it's kind of if you encourage someone to stop smoking are you doing a bad thing to them? And on the other side, if you encourage someone to stop smoking, you're doing a really good thing to them. And mm. it, it's, it's a really kind of fascinating sort of uh, different picture. Uh, but I'm sure one that sort of Ash has had to sort of struggle with, you know, quite considerably. Yeah, I think when you're talking about people who've ha who are in a situation where there is not their choice um, to stop smoking, uh, they're in prison, they're in mental health settings where they can't smoke. It's a completely different conversation yeah. from, do you know, here's the support to help you start, blah, 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 like those kind of conversations. It is about acknowledging that people are coming into those environments with an addiction to nicotine. And mm. like any other addiction that they're coming into those settings with, how do you manage it? Yeah. It can't, if you come into, um, you know, these um these settings with an addiction to alcohol or an addiction to um, an illegal substance um, we don't facilitate that we don't give you the cocaine we don't give you the whatever it might be mm -hmm. um, we find ways of managing that and and we have a lot of tools at our disposal so we obviously have the medications nicotine replacement therapy patches gum etc mm -hmm. but vaping products give us a, this really valuable tool which is quite close to smoking in some ways in terms of the experience that people are, are having. Um, but it is delivering nicotine in a way that is a, a fraction of the harm um, from smoking. So from a harm reduction viewpoint, just an incredibly valuable tool. And mm. those conversations, therefore, might be, they might end up being, well, do you want to stop smoking for good? Like mm. when you leave here mm. uh, or when you're allowed to go and leave, you know, we won't continue to smoke. Um, but if that's not where you're at right now, then this mm. will reduce the harm. This will help you manage your cravings while you're here. Mm -hmm. I think, I think, and I think you're right, David. It is a different conversation from when you're in, you know, when you're having that conversation with a parent mm. uh, and you want to protect that child. Um, it's a, they are different conversations because it's a different situation. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it, how much skill the population we're talking to about a mental health nurses already have in dealing with addiction. It's about reframing it so that people see. There's no yeah. way that you would say to, about somebody maybe who was depressed, like, well, they're really depressed, so we're just going to let them drink on the ward. Or yeah, it's a good way of us forming a therapeutic relationship, me giving them a couple of drinks. You'd be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even now there's that, you know, bumming a cigarette type way of starting a conversation, which is mm. much less common than it was, but it's still that yeah. kind of the therapeutic use of cigarettes is mind-blowing. 
my mum um, was a, a, a social worker and mm. she so she was involved in detaining people mm. she would say it would be part of the the kind of ritual that you would, yeah. you would do you would go through the really traumatic process that you would do in terms of you know detaining somebody under the mental health act mm. and then uh you get to the point where right we're going now have you got your keys mm. have you got your money have you got your cigarettes yeah and you go and you can't imagine like replace cigarettes with your you know bottle of vodka or whatever like you know yeah. you just cannot imagine yeah switching in another product at that point yeah yeah it was definitely like that I remember it being like we were just saying while you were offline that I remember it being like that on the wards if somebody was distressed you know the first thing generally they'd be offered is a you know a cup of tea and a cigarette and you know to sort of de-escalate the situation and you know it did facilitate a connection clearly but it's it's um it's amazing really how things have moved on since then and how the whole sort of culture around smoking's changed and mm. we were just saying as well weren't we Nikki about um how you know when they were first introducing no smoking wards you know people thought there's no way this is going to work and how we're going to deprive people of smoking and mm. you know people are detained under the mental health act they have the right to smoke you know all these conversations and and yet we've done it and you mm. know th- things have changed haven't they they are better it's, it's, they're not, yeah, they're not as good as they can be but they are better yeah even things like star wars coming along where, where they're yeah. more um, engaging environments and we're actually thinking about those spaces being healing spaces yeah absolutely. and that completely changes the kind of conversations that you have around supporting people with addictions mm, completely yeah. I've, yeah I've always found it in, intriguing that the extent to which we talk about behavior changing smokers or I do um, you know how do we change people's behavior but so much of the mental health conversation has been about well, behavior change of professionals because mm-hmm. consciously or, or, or unconsciously mm. there's a lot of facilitative there has been a lot of facilitative behavior and not just facilitating but almost endorsement you know when you go to have that cigarette you're, you're saying that's a way that that's a technique you can use to help mm-hmm. calm yourself down mm. um you know but the reality is it's playing into this cycle of like peaks and troughs and nicotine and actually yeah, yeah. you know probably increasing people's anxiety yeah. and I think it's um it, it, you know it's incumbent on us to think about how we are changing you know challenging our own thoughts and behavior yeah. in some of these um spaces yeah. and um I think um I do think secondary mental health services have done has done a, you know has come a really long way yeah. it would be great to see some of that those lessons as well yeah. uh, extend you know beyond mm. secondary mental health because I think there's a massive inequality in with people who are in secondary mental health services in terms of rates of smoking but there is such a large number of people who are accessing things like IAP services you know there's other mm. um support services around um addictions mm. etc and honestly we're not even really having the conversations mm. with those mm. professionals about how they could be supporting um, the smokers in their care mm. and they have all the right skills because like um, mental health nurses you know you guys are are equipped and capable with all of the skills to yeah. help people change their behavior mm. i mean even reviewing as part of like ward rounds and medication reviews because once you start to bring smoking down people aren't so drowsy so they don't smoke as much changes the way medication is processed you can you can really really improve someone's health just by having it as part of a kind of holistic assessment yeah I think, Dave, you had something, a question about violence. Yeah, I was just going to say, Hazel, I know some of the concerns about uh, health professionals in terms of stopping people from smoking or, you know, stopping their option to do it is the kind of fear that it would increase violence on inpatient wards. Uh, And and I think there's been some research to show that that's not the case. Am am I right in that one? But it it is about implementing your policy well, isn't it? I mean, you can... uh, if clearly you could implement a smoke-free policy in such a way that you generate conflict Mm. and um, that it's problematic, but equally you can implement a policy in such a way that it's supportive and um, reduces conflict. Mm. And again, I mean, I've not worked in 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 mental health services, so I am only reporting what I hear, but when when smoking was being much more uh, frequently facilitated, when you're taking people out on smoking breaks all the time, there are there were still points of conflict in those interactions because people are withdrawing from nicotine they want to go on their smoking break when they want to go on this you know you've still got conflict kind of built into that 
um, situation. So mm. when you remove the tobacco, when you remove the smoking, when you say well, we won't be um, facilitating smoking breaks, we won't be taking people out to do that. We will be managing your nicotine in a different way. Mm. You can see how you can remove and reduce those incidences of, of conflict mm. and tension, but only if you're implementing your policy well and you're really genuinely giving people um, access to alternatives and that they understand that that's the environment that they're coming into and that and that, that, that the, the reasons why they're being supported in that way as opposed mm. to being you know taken out for a cigarette yeah and also it's things like um people should have access to the outside without having to have a reason for it because it's okay to go outside it's, it's okay to want to go outside for what we will do it so the idea that you have to have a reason to go out for someone will prioritize your need that's just that's our systemic failing of being short-staffed and all those other things that we need to look at in terms of the way our environments are laid out and you can't yeah. sometimes we create the need that people have to cope with a difficult situation instead of just having a place that's acceptable yeah absolutely and, and the stories that people will tell when we do the kind of case study stuff with people about well, I just have nothing else to do with my day mm-hmm. um, and that is not that is a failure of the service it's not a reason mm-hmm. for us to continue mm-hmm. to have environments that where people are relapsing to smoking where they're starting mm-hmm. smoking for the first time and I think that is happening much less yeah but it was definitely happening a decade ago oh god yeah <laughs> totally yeah so um we've got this kind of understanding now of like how the two things are linked, why this population might struggle particularly and what maybe staff can start thinking about doing in terms of support. Is there anything else that, that the special you're, you've just nearly qualified you're on award. Is there anything else that people can be understanding about how to support people? Um, I mean, I think that the, the key thing is about understanding that it's an, it, 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 nicotine is an, is an addiction. It can mm-hmm. be managed mm-hmm. and connecting people with ways of, of managing those, um, uh, that addiction. There's some great training. There's some great training through the National Centre for Smoking Cessation and Training, the NCSCT. Um, and, and there's more because these services are being rolled out. There's quite a bit of training that's happening within localities as well. So probably worth having a having a look around within your trust to see what's going on um and you know the 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 training on the ncstt website can be done remotely um and you know is tailored to um to, to mental health settings we could probably circulate that maybe or put it Absolutely. somewhere yeah, yeah, I don't know. um so i think that that training and and then just like you know finding out from your uh you know, within your trust, and you know, what is it that we're making available to people? Because mm. nicotine replacement therapy is fairly widely available, although mm. there'll be a, there's, it, not not every trust will have every kind of NRT mm. available. Um, and e-cigarettes are, are obviously much more widely available than they have been, but 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 it's not con- there's no consistency. So every trust will have a different set of rules and a, set, mm. a different set of products mm. around what's available. So you know you'll need to get familiar with that. We've got some. We've got a guide um, to vaping on our um, mental health and smoking partnership pages, which we're, right. we're due to update that fairly soon. Mm. Um, but that can give people a bit more information if they're particularly interested in vaping products. Mm. Absolutely. So there's obviously a lot of changes coming up. So what what can we look forward to in terms of the future around maybe legislation, things like that? Well, um, nothing has been happening as fast as we would like to. Mm-hmm. Um, that's. <laughs> is the short answer we've been um, fishing for a new tobacco control plan so i think that what we know about how to reduce smoking in society is you absolutely need support services to help mm-hmm. the individual to stop smoking and you particularly need those intensively for, for groups that are going to find it harder to stop mm. like people with mental health condition but actually bringing overall rates down you need these big population level measures mm. so if you think about smoke-free legislation everybody was impacted by that and it reduced smoking across the whole of society um you know when we banned advertising etc so we need we still need some of these really big ticket mm-hmm. population level measures um to continue to to drive down smoking prevalence but we also really need the money to be able to to, to invest in the um in, in our more disadvantaged parts of the population because smoking rates are falling and the government has this ambition mm-hmm. for uh, England to be smoke free by which I mean less than five percent smoking by yeah. 2030 and if we get there 
which mm-hmm. looks very unlikely that we will. Um, but if we if we were to get there, if you look at the current rates of decline among people with mental health conditions, pretty much everybody in that five percent would be somebody with a mental health condition. If and and that's the direction of travel. If we don't really really intensify our support yeah. for this population, but you need money to do that. Mm-hmm. So we've been calling for a, a levy on tobacco companies so that we can um, so the, the government can have the the money to invest in the services, particularly for disadvantaged populations. Right. Um, they have yet to uh, and take up take us up on our suggestion, um, but we're you know we're obviously also talking to um, opposition parties mm. uh, with a view to the fact that that might be something taken forward um, after a after an election. Mm. But we're also looking at things uh, like raising the age of sale. Um, so I think okay. we I talked right at the beginning about how this got this growing evidence that's making us causal in the development of some mental health conditions. Um, and you know, clearly if we can get fewer young people um smoking uh or delay the age at which they might um initiate smoking, mm. then that might have, in theory, that would have benefits for reducing the incidence of mental health. And I, I think I'm very um um anxious i think mm. about the the increase in poor mental health and i mean i'm sure a lot of people are anxious about the increase in poor mental health among particularly among younger people mm-hmm. um and i and it, i i think it the evidence would suggest that it's going to create real vulnerabilities in that younger population yeah. to smoking to risky drinking to other things which have health physical health harms but will also have that cumulative impact on mental health as well and so I think we need to make sure that as we're taking forward our our plans to invest more in um, dedicated services within mental health services that we're also thinking about what do we do about this very vulnerable population of young people Mm. who are um who are growing up with this depression and anxiety with these poor mental health conditions that the pandemic seems to have accelerated um you know where are the places that we can really put support in Mm. for those populations which i think is an is a is an open question at the moment Mm. i've got i can see that vanessa and david both have questions um i've got some questions which kind of tie into the thing you just said though so let me just quickly come to this so one person asks um are some diagnoses more prone to smoking than others? They're, they're talking about their experience on an eating disorder unit where people obviously mm-hmm. used it to manage weight, which I guess yeah. feeds into maybe some of the anxieties for young people. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't bring to mind what the, the, the rate is among people with eating disorders currently, but there is variation across conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, people with schizophrenia um, seem to have some of the highest rates of smoking. Um, but most groups of people uh, with mental health conditions have a higher rate of smoking than the general population. Mm. And I'm sure that that would also be true for um, people with eating disorders, mm. although they might be slightly low because they tend to be, this is why I don't know that, maybe because my <laughs> ignorance. Yeah. Yeah. My, my perception is that eating disorders are largely among younger people, but maybe yeah. that's inaccurate. Yeah. So you well, might see slightly lower levels because of that. Yeah, I think it's complicated as well with eating disorders, isn't it? Because it's whether or not people are smoking um, to, to manage the weight or whether they're smoking due to stress or whether there's sort of obsessional traits within mm. the person that leads mm. them smoking. There's obviously emerging links between the diversity in eating disorders and sort of autistic yeah. um, people who develop eating disorders. Well, I was it? talking to a colleague recently with a kind of neurodiverse um, condition and uh, she's a heavy smoker and mm. um, she has has always had the perception that the smoking helped her manage her her ADHD, I think, and and, mm. and so forth. And also that it helped to manage some of the situational stuff around kind of wanting to leave the room and not be in the room with other people. Mm. But actually, I think the evidence also supports that the, the, the yeah. you see real um, management of, con- of your, uh, your condition um, for people with autism and ADHD, that sense that it's somehow helping you manage your condition and that there may be a, um, a validity to that. Yeah, I suppose if you've got ADHD and you're chasing that sort of dopamine hit, you can see why you'll be drawn towards smoking from a sort of stimulant point of view. But yeah. as as we've said, it's um, mm-hmm. this kind of short term gain, isn't it, really? And that that's the that's yeah. the problem. So that's what keeps it going, because, you know, there's a sort of drive towards 
having another cigarette to kind mm. of lift a person but then the sort of massive disadvantages of, of smoking over the long term mm. well, maybe I, I, we'll get better at supporting people with these issues the initial yeah. issue and then they won't have to sort of self-medicate so yeah. hey, what you're going to say um no i think yeah i think yeah. i think more or less what you were going to say all right <laughs> so what was your question yeah so um, a couple of things. First of all, um, we talked about vaping earlier um, as a sort of harm minimisation, but there's obviously some emerging evidence starting to come out around whether vaping is as safe as, as what we think it is. So do you think in time we'll see more focus on how to support people with stopping vaping as well as, as smoking? I just wondered what your position on that was. Yeah, interesting. I, I think probably the answer to that is yes in the long term. Mm. Um, I think that the evidence is so strong that vaping is less harmful than smoking, yeah. um, even though obviously mm. we have, you have to wait till you accumulate the, the kind of long term impact. You need people vaping for decades and decades to really yeah. accumulate that evidence. We know so much about what is lethal in tobacco smoke and mm. we know what isn't in the, in the vaping products that we're, we're fairly confident on that score. But that mm. being said, you, over time, you know, it's, you've got lots of different groups of people who are vaping. So people who might uh, who are who are vaping to quit smoking they quit smoking they vape mm. for a bit longer they stop vaping yeah. they're not using nicotine anymore and then you've got people who might be dual using for a long time vaping and smoking mm. um and um they may be doing that for a variety of reasons and then you've got people who have stopped smoking and they're vaping and they're vaping and they appear that they may never stop vaping they might be vaping for, mm -hmm. for a long time mm -hmm. we've got quite a, we do a big annual survey we've got quite a large group now of people mm -hmm. that have been vaping for you mm -hmm. know more than five years and so i think it is a question that yeah. needs to be answered you know yeah. to what extent is it a useful thing for us to work out how to get those people to stop vaping yeah and is it because the, you want to remove the addiction because the addiction is damaging because you have to spend mm -hmm. money on it because mm -hmm. you have servicing an addiction Mm. is there health harm that we're avoiding but yeah. i think there will be a question around the the impact on mental health because we don't really understand what that relationship is between tobacco and mental health we know that there is one mm. and we think it's causal but we mm. don't know if it's the nicotine yeah. or if it's some other things in the tobacco smoke mm. or if it's other things in the tobacco smoke with the nicotine like we yeah. really don't know so it may well be that as we as our understanding grows that we that, that nicotine may not be as innocent as perhaps we think you know we currently think it yeah I suppose as well there's another category as well um you know being the mother of of teenage children you know my children keep me informed about how many people vape at school who are teenagers and they're another group who actually haven't started smoking cigarettes but have started vaping so whilst we see it as a harm reduction in terms of people moving from smoking to vaping um some people are just going straight into vaping now aren't they so there's a there is a sea change with the young the younger generation yeah. and we've seen a particular particular it wasn't really an issue a couple of years ago the vaping rates among teenagers were really negligible and they were really all among kids that smoked yeah we have seen an increase in the last two years because there's been these new products on the market that have been very popular but you know there's regulatory things government could be doing about that um, which they're not really doing um but for me so one of the suggestions has been that they uh should ban um disposable vapes which is one of the mm. things that's been driving this popularity um and i would be i would be i think it would be a shame on a number of fronts to do that so one i don't think it would be that effective um but two i think you, you, we still need these products for, for people who've got complex yeah. conditions mm. and if you've got a lot going on in your life mm. it's being able to pick up a disposable product and use that straight away and it's not complicated you don't have to charge it you don't have mm. to refill it um, it's a, it's like as like a cigarette as you can get really they're really useful for some groups in the population however we do need you know we can't can't allow this sort of uncontrolled use among young people mm -hmm. um it'll be it that it that the regular use is, is still relatively on a relatively small group yeah. experimentation has become quite widespread yeah. and you know government absolutely should be doing something about the promotion of these products we think yeah. an excise tax on the disposable ones to, to reduce their um, use would be something very valuable as well. Mm -hmm. And looking at, you know, they're available very widely. I mean, yeah. 
do you really need to be able to buy a vape in your local laundrette which apparently you can do these days probably yeah. not mm. <laughs> exactly mm. Dave yeah. you had a question as well yeah, it's, it's always dangerous to ask what could be quite a big question when you're trying to get to the end. But just as you were speaking earlier, I was thinking, you know, if you could transport yourself to another country in the world that is doing this really, really well, which sort of top country would you pick or maybe a top one or two? Oh, what a great question, Dave, that I don't have a ready answer for. Um, <laughs> where would I go? I probably go different places for different things. Is, oh. is the answer? I have to say, the UK is not too bad on tobacco uh, by international standards. Um, mm. I think that the uh, so I would probably go to the US and pick up some stuff around age of sale. They raise the age yeah. of sale to twenty one. Um, I might go to Australia and get their mass marketing strategy, where they are really great at being on TV and warning yeah. people about the harms from smoking. Mm um i might go to new zealand they've got you know really comprehensive strategy in place yeah. um and they've also done a really great job about thinking about marginalized communities so yeah. for for new zealand that's yeah. about kind of um indigenous communities you know maori etc so i think though i think we could pick a mix from around the world but there's no other country i think that's necessarily doing a better job than we are which is the good news really surprising news <laughs> thank you for that slight bit of cheering up there that's good we are as Dave said obviously going to come to the end now because we're hitting towards 50 minutes but I wonder if I can just go around each of you I'll go to Vanessa and Dave and see if there's any sort of like last thoughts and then we'll come to you Hazel to finish up Vanessa is there anything that you wanted to ask or points you wanted to make yeah no I think it's been um, a really interesting discussion I think one of the things that would be good to sort of post discussion is to share some of the um, resources and links I've, I've shared one of them already around training people who are listening but I think there's a lot of links there that you've talked about that I wasn't aware of so I think that's really useful to know and um, yeah I think it's just been a really interesting um, discussion and some great work going on yeah. and um, yeah pass Dave? it on. Yeah, I think the thing that I would say is that it's always nice listening to people that know the briefs really well. Mm. And I think that, you know, that's one of the things I always enjoy when I go to Ash events, you know, especially when Hazel turns up and talks, that, you know, you kind of know you're going to get a really good session where you're up to date by the mm. end of it and mm. you kind of know stuff that you didn't know when you went into the room. Mm. Uh, and it's always been a, a, a real kind of delight to be, to be involved in the work. Yeah. I think as well, you know, just kind of reflecting on the stuff that we've done together. So we had a, an edition of the Mental Health Nursing Journal that was focused on stop smoking uh, a, a while ago now, yeah. but you know, where we absolutely kind of plastered across that, lots of stuff that's going on. Yeah. Uh, and it's always great to kind of, you know, support Ash with the the voice of mental health nurses and and yeah. kind of and, and get that going. So so that's been, you know, really, really positive. So, uh, you know, just a quick message to say thanks for that. Yeah. And I guess I hope the stories that Vanessa and I were telling about the dark ages have <laughs> <laughs> helped people to sort of see a little bit that yeah things do change. Maybe yeah. you don't see it in the time scale you're looking at since you qualified to now, but over time things are so different to what they were, and they will get better and better and better. The more yeah. I think we take on that responsibility for holistic care for people, yeah. and you know we all know what we want for ourselves and the people we love, and we should want the same standards for everybody. Yeah. particularly kind of vulnerable marginalized people so I think yeah, that's really definitely. positive yeah. so Hazel coming to you now for your last thoughts in non-frightening and pressure uh, kind of way <laughs> I mean I I want I mean I really hope we continue this sort of like really powerful collaboration between public health mm -hmm. and mental health there's a, an enormous prize here which is essentially yeah. the healthy lives of um, really yeah. vulnerable group of people and mm. we, we, no one of us is going to, you know, no one group of professionals is going to um, get there on our own. And that collaborative piece is really, really important. And if we don't do it, then we will be kind of condemning the, this group of people to yeah. further stigma because smoking rates are going to fall. And if we don't do more to help this population, then they're massively left behind even more so than they already are. But also to reflect the optimism that the rest of you have expressed. Because I had a conversation with the Royal College of Physicians the other day, because it's 10 years this year since they published this report with the Royal College of Psychiatry, which is really setting out the case yeah. for action. Mm. And a lot has been done in 10 years. 
So mm-hmm. we can come back in another 10 years. You can have me back for your 500th yeah. episode or whatever. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, I really believe that we will have made further progress mm-hmm. and um, that some of the things that seem still seem challenging now about embedding services, about offering support to people, mm-hmm. about kind of mainstreaming support people with depression and anxiety, I really think we will have cracked those nuts mm-hmm. and um, that, that smoking rates will be much lower in this population, but it will be collaborative. That's a really exciting thought, actually. And um, before we finish up, Dave, did you have something you wanted to say about upcoming episodes? Yeah, just before we sign off tonight, just wanted to say that we've got a couple of weeks off coming up. Uh, I'm heading on holiday, uh, and so I'm taking away the computer, and you can't do anything without me. Uh, <laughs> but after we come back, we've got some great sessions uh, planned. Uh, the other thing to say is that I've been I've been to a few really interesting face to face in person conferences over the last couple of weeks. So hoping to bring in some of the guests uh, and speakers that I've seen there, uh, including I was at an event for the NHS 75th birthday and hoping to get a shadow uh, health spokesman from Scotland along in a few weeks time. So I think I think that should be a, a really, really good one. Uh, but, yeah, just to kind of highlight that really. And, you know, even though we'll be away from. A couple of weeks we'll be roaring back into uh into people's living rooms asap so thank you very very much to hazel that was really interesting yeah, and really positive and thank yeah. you very much to everybody else and to the guests who joined in good yeah. night everybody bye bye, bye.